This is Wayne McCullough with Simple Talk Radio, reporting in from Dallas, Texas. As I always like to say, from Kevin Ebeling's new studio, although you've been in here a few months now, Kevin. I know, we're getting used um, to it now. It's not doesn't feel quite as fresh. Yeah, it's, I, I love it in here. It's been such a good move for us. So um, it's interesting setup. Kevin's actually about half a football field away. It's so large in here, he actually has to drive his golf cart over to uh, chat with <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> No, we have an awesome setup. So very excited about today. Um, you know, our goal here with the Big Five and the Simple Talk is faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. And every week we're going to address those in various ways. And, and a lot of this ultimately has to do with what can we do with our mind, right? Because we have to really begin to dig into our mind and control our mind to attack these areas. And we all need coaching. And we're going to get into that today because I often say we have, if you play golf, you might have a golf instructor, tennis, tennis instructor. Wherever you work out, be it a CrossFit gym, there's a coach there, or a physical trainer. But oftentimes in business and or life, we aren't leaning into anybody and we need outside help. And I'm not just talking traditional therapy. I'm talking about you know, people that have PhDs that study the mind and can really help you, you know, from goal set to life plan it, you know, set yourself up for win. So the guest I have today is Dr. Julie Bell, PhD. Julie is a longtime friend. Um, I'm going to let her get into her background shortly, but I bet we've known each other 15, 20, 25 years. It's been a long time. And I've really only engaged one or two coaches in my life um, because, you, you know, you need to be careful who you choose, and Julie is one of those. And she's given me a lot of advice, and I'll just be honest with you guys, from – a time when I was dealing with severe anxiety, we'd meet at the bottom of Crescent to when my head is a effectively a wet newspaper around my golf game. Um, so, you know, you guys know, you've listened to me enough to know where I stand with anxiety, but the mind is something that's just important. And, you know, we everybody will have a point when they realize how important that is. No one avoids anxiety, stress, depression in many people and it is the scourge of of a community um and julia i want to put this out there now because i want to circle back to it you know there's been suicides in our community as of late and i actually want to prep you because i'd love some thoughts on on what's happening there um i brought it up to a group last night so i'm just going to put it out there in front of you guys today but the, the organization she's president of the mind of a champion which i love that name over 20 years of experience um, it really, what, what I think is fascinating, um, she's got a master, a doctorate, sports psychology, UVA, just phenomenal schools, Oklahoma State. Uh, so she also worked with Dr. Bob Rotella. If you've ever picked up a golf club in your life or understand sports psychology, he is one of the most renowned golf psychologists in the world, if not the. His book, really, I read his book, this is funny, I read his book two pages every time before I play golf. It's called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And basically, the one page I read sets up that you cannot go into the day with over expectations, right, and function and focusing on mechanics. So, it's it's fascinating that you've gotten to do that. Married to Nelson Bell, who is a local pastor and has three children. Our kids are close to the same age. We have talked about our kids a lot and ways to properly do that. We'll get to everywhere we can find you at the end, books and whatnot, but. This is somebody really that the whole podcast was started about as people like Dr. Bell. So, Julie, welcome. Thanks, Wayne. 
Did I miss anything on the intro? <laughs> I don't think so. There were some things in there. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, where, where we oftentimes start is, I mean, if you could give us your background. And now, as I said earlier, we can go as far back as you want. What I think is interesting to people is because I have people say, how did you get in financial services? And it actually is more interesting than people might think. Mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't. it's not like your profession is like financial services. It's you, There's there's not many of you guys out there, right? So it is a unique path to become a sports psychologist, business psychologist, life coach, et cetera. So could you get us to that point? Sure. Okay. I'd love to. Yeah. First of all, I think it's really important to know that I grew up in Muskogee, Oklahoma, which is about as far away from Highland Park as you can get. Uh, So I grew up there, went to Oklahoma State University. I thought I wanted to be an optometrist. Uh, I think my dad convinced me of that. And uh, quickly into chemistry, I realized that was not going to be my career. And so I had a phenomenal advisor at Oklahoma State, and I was a cheerleader there. And so I was around a lot of sports, and I loved psychology. I think there's A students and C students in psychology. There are no B students in psychology. You either get it or you don't. Mm -hmm. I was one of those A students, super easy for me. She called me in and she said, there's this field called sports psychology. You should look into it. And so I went to the library at Oklahoma State and I spent a couple of hours reading professional journals on sports psychology. So research papers, and it wasn't assigned reading and I could have spent all day there. I just loved what I was reading because I always liked how the mind worked, but I knew I couldn't do therapy. It just didn't fit my personality. And so I was able to study how the brain works, but just in a different field, more on that, where are you now, where do you want to go, rather than on the diagnosis and analysis side of things. So that's how I found sports psychology. Okay, hold on. Let me interject, because I don't want readers to pass this by. And you're a competitive cheerleader, correct? (laughs) But but I mean that, which it is a... I mean, it is a real... National champs at Oklahoma State. It is a sport, right? (laughs) I mean, you weren't just on the sidelines. So... That must have intrigued you as well, that part of it. It did, the competitive yeah. part. We yeah. won my junior year. We had this, you know, target on our back for my senior year. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of the mindset work going in there. Got it. Okay, so you began to study sports psychology. I did. Was sports psychology, and I don't know, because I was, you know, bouncing around wherever I was, is that, was that a burgeoning discipline at that time it's not like it what is now now it's epic right I mean, right so you know it, it follows the same track as weightlifting so you think about you know not every university had a, a weight room uh, right. not too long ago and then nutrition came next and then the sports psychology has followed that same trajectory and so you'll see it more and more um i went to university of virginia and really thought that i would work with athletes my entire career mm-hmm. um, but what i didn't realize is that you would have to have thousands of athletes to sustain a practice because it's not long-term therapy it's hey let's figure out where your thinking is messed up let's create some new habits and then we'll stay in a relationship but we're not meeting every week and so i dual tracked from day one and went the business side along with the sports side okay so Oklahoma State to UVA. Mm-hmm. Was that a direct path? It was, yeah. And then UVA, I stayed both master's and PhD, so I went straight through there. Okay, then tell where did, I think I know this, but the listeners can hear, where did Rotella come in? So uh, Bob was my advisor at UVA, and so okay. I had him my entire career out there. Yeah. And then this is kind of intriguing. I've never thought about this. It's how do you le- graduate and then go? find an athlete to coach, Uh right? I mean, it's not like LeBron's going to sign up with 
you walk in out of the door of Michael Jordan back then. Right. So I um, well, I started in a sales job, which I think everybody needs to do at some point. But in their unrelated life. to sports totally psychology. unrelated okay. to sports psychology, except that I used sports psychology mm-hmm. in my life every day. Um, do you mind if we ask what you're selling? I was so? selling cheerleading uniforms. Oh, perfect. Of I was. You were. I was in the top ten salespeople of the company. Uh, because I just had been studying sports psychology for four years and just how your thoughts lead to your actions. But the way I ended up in the, after graduating and finishing my PhD, I started marking myself in country clubs to golfers and tennis players and saying, hey, this is what sports psychology is all about. Um, I used my network from growing up in Oklahoma and, you know, Bill Self was at ORU um, and uh, University of Tulsa, just people that I knew from Oklahoma State and getting to know them and going and hanging out with their teams and Mm. finding athletes that way. Okay, so that got you started. Mm -hmm. Let me pivot back to UVA. Was Rotel on staff there? Oh, yeah. He was full-time faculty. So he wasn't even out coaching? Out, or was he doing independent? He was um, doing a coaching. little bit of independent with golfers and then doing some keynotes with some larger organizations, but he was on, on campus full-time. Okay, God, so fortunate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how many books he sold, but it's a lot. It is a lot. And having him as a, not just as an advisor, but also having him teach, um, some great Bob stories. Yes. <laughs> Can I tell you one? Yeah, absolutely. So we had this three-hour course once a week, and the title of the course is Confidence. Literally, a whole semester we studied confidence. And you had a bunch of reading before each class. So I go in one day, and I didn't do my reading. And one of the very first questions, he looks at me, and he goes, Julie, what do you think about that? And I said, you know, Bob, I'm really sorry, but I didn't do my reading. And so for the next three hours, every question started with, so Julie, what do you think of that? Oh, that's classic. Yeah, for the confidence lecture. And I got to say every single time, you know, Bob, I didn't do my reading. And yeah. so for three hours, uh, he did that for me, and I did my reading from that point on. <laughs> Lesson learned. So, okay, you grew up in Oklahoma, mm. and there w- was there, and, and I talk about this, and this can be multiple things I said earlier. Was there a pivotal, you know, I think we grow up, was there some pivotal moment in your life when you were sh- – forced to shift on how you looked at everything? There was. Uh, I think there was a, a, a couple of those or a long season of that. So I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom went to church every Sunday. My dad worshiped on the golf course. My sister followed that track. And so I went to church with my mom every Sunday. And um, wait, wait, I missed your father worshiped on the golf course. He didn't go to church. Okay. No, no. <laughs> I cut, that flew right by me, but I get it now. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I knew who God was. I accepted Jesus as a as a junior high, but it wasn't a you know this life changing moment for me. Mm-hmm. That really came in college. Um, I was uh, just wanting to know why I believed what I believed. Um, I uh, struggled uh, my through college with um, an eating disorder my last couple of years and. Just really, life was spinning out of control, and um, and so I was really figuring out what do I believe, and re- just understanding this relationship with the Lord that lasted a few years, and got clinically um, well at Vir- I mean at Oklahoma State, and then it was actually after I finished 
graduate school, where every day in graduate school, I learned that your thoughts lead to your actions. And so although I had these behaviors of an eating disorder under control in my mind, I still uh, struggled with it every single day until I lived in Nebraska for a year and was working in sales. And I can remember just one day just having this um, epiphany that um, that I still had really messed up thinking. And so I... Um, I struggled with evaluation and what do other people think of me? And then I just, you know, had this moment and I just stopped and I thought, you know, it's time to just really stop arm wrestling with the Lord on this and just shake hands with him and walk, you know, hand in hand through this and just really giving up control to him and just saying, you know, no matter what it looks like in the end. And that was the hard part for me. So I could give up control as long as I could decide what it would look like in the end. But that, you know what, no matter what it looks like in the end, I'm, I'll be okay. Boy, God, I love that. And you, fortunately, it happened to you early. I think, you know, I've, I had to struggle with that for a long time. It's all about control, right? Yeah. Um, and that's just, that's a loser's game. So let me, the, the eating disorder is interesting because it's, I think it's, has been an epidemic in in our community as well, right? Is you know with with especially some of the you know teen girls. You, you told me one time though about that 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 is one that you can be delivered from. Uh, is it is if it is, um, you know, mental struggles go, mm-hmm. right? So I was clinically well in college. Yeah. So the, which meant I controlled the behaviors. And I was I was literally counseled with an alcoholic mindset, which was you'll have this for the rest of your life. And so which I, I can't I can't stand when that said over anyone, by the way. Yeah. So I, I believed it and and lived out that until that day in Nebraska when I was in my um, apartment and I was just like, this does not make sense. God isn't about win-lose. You know, it's all about win-win. And just from that moment on, just this real deliverance, it's not even a part of who I am. Um, And so that, you know, that was a Holy Spirit moment of some sort. For sure. But I think you've even said from a psychological standpoint, you know, don't, you can, even not just spiritual, but that is one that you can be broken from, right? Mm-hmm. And it just I just want to encourage the, any listeners that their daughters or, or their sons in that fact, but there is a path out, and you aren't, that's not your destiny. True, and I would say it's even bigger than just sons and daughters. I mean, it's just for anyone who struggles with, every time I walk into a room, I compare myself to everyone who's standing yeah. around here, whether it's physical or financial or any kind of comparison. I mean, that's really the disorder. The behaviors will come out in different ways, mm-hmm. but that's what I really felt freedom f- from. And I teach that a lot um, now through some different models in sports psychology that I've been able to create just from the experience that I walk through. I don't teach anything on eating disorders. I'm really not qualified for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give people hope, but I can't give people counseling in it because I just, the Lord delivered me and that's that's about all I can say. Yeah, and I, I can put in the show notes, there's some local organizations, I could have this wrong, maybe the Elisa Project or the Elisa Project, so, that are doing some incredible work in that space. But it's all the same. Okay, so well, I'm going to come back to that because I want to get into some of the mental health. Okay, so... That was a pivotal moment, mm-hmm. clearly, clearly sitting where in, in having this Holy Spirit-led moment or this just this epiphany. Boy, it's a good way to live your life, too. I mean, it just, it just helps let stress go, which I s- suppose that push you 
which was great because well, you had the tools too, though, from your studies in psychology. I did. I did. Yeah. I had that. Um, you know, I just, I realized that although I would say my behaviors were under control, my mind wasn't in the right place. I still had the disordered thinking. And so that was when that freedom came. Yeah. So this arc is, and you grew you had to have grown up cheerleading like since a young age, right? Actually, I was in gymnastics. Oh, you were? I was. And so I, I went into cheerleading later in life. Oh, you did? Uh-huh. Because that world can be, there's a Netflix documentary right now. Are you Have you watched it? Cheer? Yes. I did. Lizzie yeah. binged, I don't know how many hours, but I didn't talk to her for uh, maybe a day. I might be familiar with that. <laughs> but yeah, but anybody that's watched it that's been in your world's like, that's, that's, yeah. I live that. Yeah. Yeah. So, which we can get into child psychology and child <laughs> sports and whole. I mean, that's a whole topic, right? It is. I mean, and there's there's problems there, but it's okay. Everybody's doing the best they can. So that's an interesting arc. So that would be one of the key experiences. Definitely one of the key experiences. Um, well, and I may have missed this. So it sounds like you had a somewhat of a check the box relationship with God. And I did, I, you know, mine's not that dissimilar. I went to Park City's Baptist, have forever, love the church, but I was a show up, and I would always say my antenna was up, but I just couldn't, nothing was coming into it, mm-hmm. right? And, and I felt no connectivity, and then I got broken and connected, which goes back to which, something that changed my life about five years ago now, which is when I had this epiphany for me, which is... My brokenness is a bridge to God, not a barrier. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we can... I mean, if you look in the Bible, it, he loves connecting with broken people, right? Mm-hmm. So, but what, I, did I miss? When did that what, what, When did that have the epiphany moment on that? Like, when did you have a, we can have a real relationship with Jesus? So the real relationship with Jesus started in college during the recovery part. And okay. it was really, um, quite honestly, it was from the associate athletic director, Dave Martin, his wife, Tony... Um, they they loved me and my brokenness, and I was at their house one time for cheerleading practice. They were like, "Are you okay?" And I just said, "No, I'm not." And and then uh, really loved me back to health. And mm. so that was a just a new model for me. Um, I heard one of your guests one time just talk about you know getting perfect first, then the Lord will love you. And that was definitely the model that I had grown up with. And so um, I got to experience that love in brokenness and and just loving me back to health. Um, so that's where it all started. Yeah, I think that's where most of us, and that's the church, I think, has changed and the better for that. It, but most of us grew up with somewhat of fire and brimstone, and you do bad, therefore. I mean, uh-huh. it was, um, God, that whole prayer about asking for your sin forgiveness, hope I won't die before I wake. And oh, yeah. It terrified me. Like, what's up with that? Uh, okay, so that was, those, those are experiences that change your life. So when we get into, I just would love some practical advice on this because in my world, I sit with a lot of men. As a matter of fact, I'm going trying to get together with two men next week. You know, depression is this is this kind of epic scourge, um, and so is anxiety. And, and I think even if you loop in eating disorders, they're all part of the same family, right? And Mike and I talk about our, your, our tapes get broken. Mm-hmm. And then it will literally just play in your head over and over, even though you're going throughout the day. What is, what do you, because you changed your tape clearly, because mm-hmm. you were, you, that's what you said, basically, you were playing a bad tape. You realize your thinking's faulty. 
everyone's not going to have a moment where they're sitting on the couch and deliverance. So what, what are practical steps to stop that? So in my world, um, through the mind of a champion, I, I am not qualified to speak, to give my professional opinion on depression right. and anxiety. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. But in terms of the tapes in your head, that's really all I do. Right, because that applies to everything. Right, it applies yeah. to everything. So, you know, we all have this voice in our head, and what we call it at the Mind of a Champion is your coaching voice. Other people call it self-talk. But if you think about that voice in your head is your coach. And if your coach is always giving you an if-then um, scenario, then you just feel like you're negotiating throughout your whole life. If your coaching voice is always telling you about what not to think about, you know, like, or what not to do, whether it's, you know, don't eat those cookies or make sure you don't do that, just really focusing on what not to do, uh, that's a broken tape. And so I work really hard to focus on what to do, um, what opportunities, what possibilities, just choosing your focus and then once you choose your focus or your direction, then your voice in your head has to coach you there. And I think too often the voice in our head is playing for the other team. Mm. And so it's putting us on the sidelines rather than really bringing out our best. And what's scary is sometimes that voice is so comfortable that you stay in it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I used to, uh, uh, this is a true story. I used to make sales calls back when I was trying to raise money and I was really building the business. I can, I, I would call people that said no a lot because it felt productive mm. that I was making calls, you know, so I had my list and then I'd go back and hit them again. And these people were six times into, you know, let's get together. But, but when I didn't, but that was, at least I was getting an outcome. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take much bravery. And it was just comfortable. I knew that they would answer. And, yeah, I think we – you're right. I mean, I was just completely listening to the wrong team, mm-hmm. right? So I had to change that habit. Um, so, okay, let's – let's. What, what is a – to you, what is a habit? So we have ha- physical habits, yeah. and then we have habits of the mind. Okay. So our physical habits we're more aware of, right? right. I'm right-handed. I um, and just all kinds of habits that we do. P- putting your seatbelt on, right? So all of those habits. Putting your shoes in a certain spot in your room. But then we have habits of the mind, and that is when your sister says X, Y, Z, and you respond exactly like it's just mm. a it's a habit that you have. And the one thing that we can do with the habits in our mind is we can play that scenario out beforehand. And then we can figure out what's a better way to think at this moment. So when your sister says you're acting like mother, instead of that pushing a button, you have, you've already practiced in your head a new response, and then you just act out that response or play out that response. Um, a habit of the mind out on the golf course is, you know, you walk up to the number, what's one with out-of-bounds on the right at DCC? Well, there's multiple, but we could Pick go one. with uh, <laughs> Let's go with 11. Okay, so you walk up to 11 and the habit of the mind is, you remember four years ago when you were um, playing with, you know, Bob, Joe, and and um, Ted, and everybody was watching you and you just like knocked it out, out of bounds, and it was awful, you'd been playing your best friend. I mean, so your habit of the mind is you're going to bring up this memory and not just where you hit it, but how you felt and what everybody said, and those are habits of the mind. Mm-hmm. 
And so we think that our habit of the action is that we always hit it out of bounds, but really it's the habit of the mind that's keeping us hitting it out of the bounds. Right. And the physical aspect is secondary to yeah. your mind literally just push that ball out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you know, when somebody says, hand me a water ball, you know where, yes. that, right. you know where that's yeah. going, right? <laughs> so, gosh, the habit of the mind. And that's, those are, right, those are difficult to break. We have to recognize them first. I think that that's a huge step that people miss. And so we, once we recognize, that's our three-step process. Recognize your thinking, and then we can refocus, which is just think a different way. And then creating those routines or habits of the mind. But you first have to figure out where they are in your brain. Yeah, so one thing you would help me with, which was when I'm playing golf, and mine's a lot of business and fun, and so I'm not, you know, this is not qualifying for the mid-am or anything, which was... I'm engaged with the people I'm with until I put my, I can only think about the golf shot once my hand touches the club. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, I'm connected back to the people. Once again, I'm not trying to shoot par. This is something that gets really interesting that I think more people need to understand. And I'm going to, I'm going to get off a little bit. What is your real average? Mm Mm-hmm. Or, or, or I think the term in some ways can be a new normal that's mm-hmm. used more, um, you know, in a regular environment. But what will you explain your take on what an average is? Sure. So average, by definition, is where you are consistently today. Right. And so just we we have to own our average. You know, I yell at my kids four times a day. Don't judge me for it. That's just my average. I can be better than that. I can be a lot right. worse than that. So whatever it is that you're doing, you have an average. Um, you have this um, achievement side of you that, you know, it could be your goal, and then you have your below average. And a lot of times people see um, if you haven't achieved your goal, it's failure. But really, anytime that you are executing above average, you're in that success field, and that's what you have to be able to see. And if you can see it, then you gain confidence. When you have confidence, you have more success. It just um, – grows that way but too often we just have this it's either all or none i either hit my goal or i didn't and so we end up losing on a daily basis and nobody likes to do that right it's self-defeating now that being said then you have to somehow consciously reset your averages right and you did you pulled this trick on me i was just upset because my game golf game wasn't where it should have been and you know i used to be a five or a 5.8 and you, it's, it's kind of depressing, but you said, well, how long ago is that? I'm like, 19 years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's, you were so right, though. I'm comparing myself, one, to a 24-year-old right. that lived in my parents' back house that was looking for work, which meant I walked around with a club and a ball bouncing it like Tiger Woods and then mm-hmm. would play every day, one. Two, you know, the body was more fluid back then, so... So you have to, it doesn't mean what I don't want people to hear because I don't like this. It doesn't mean you can't still be big, bold, and brave in your goals. And you, I still can't go, I can still go out there and maybe be a five. But I have to reset that average too on where I am in my life. Like for me to be a five, do I even have the time or energy? Right. right. Is that really what your win is these days? Right. I mean, I would sacrifice my family and that ain't happening. Right. Right. And so, but the most important thing about knowing where your average is or your new normal is, whatever your goal is, is that your mind has to coach you from average to excellent rather than okay. if we just see our goal as success, then what ends up happening is we coach ourselves out of the game. Yeah. And what is success is a whole nother right. thing, right? And that's where I become in life. 
I'm trying to get myself to see over and over Dr. Rob Carmen, who was on my show. Um, he's the one that just looked at me and said, Wayne, I hear you talking about success a lot. Do you want to live a life of significance or success? It's like you can have both, but significance ultimately is more important. Not significance of me, but doing stuff like this, right, that I enjoy that can help people on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so define it. Well, okay, let's talk about that then. How how does I know this is individualized, but do you take a different look on, or do you help your clients see what is it, what is success, and then being realistic, right? So me winning the club championship, I don't know. So I would ask people about their desired results, like what outcome do you want? But really, my conversations are how do you play the game? So when you're saying success, you're thinking club championship, that's an outcome. Um, you know, number one salesperson. Right. I mean, I'm usually revenue. putting it in money terms to be right. completely transparent with you, right? Right. And so I think that's just a way to get a conversation started. But it all comes back for me is how are you playing the game? And so success is executing at an A-plus level. It's 100% of 100%. So you tell me whatever it is that you want your outcome to be, you want to be club champion. And I'm going to say, what's it going to take to get there? And you're going to talk about practice and club selection and um, course management and, and time playing and time practicing. And we're going to go through all of that. And then we're just going to break it down, even by your clubs. And are you playing at your best on all of these? And then we'll figure out how to execute at your A-plus self. And so really, when I'm working with people, it's all about uh, how do you get there? So the process of getting there, it's not about the outcome. So I want to be somebody like me could say, you know, I want to be a better businesswoman. Well, okay, what does better mean? Well, I just want to be better. Well, mm-hmm. what is, I mean, you have to know what better means so that we can know how to walk towards better by looking at all the components that get there. So uh, that just got my mind churning on, because I want to pivot to kids here in a minute, children. And once again, you aren't a child psychologist, or do you play one? No, but I got three, so I practice. (laughs) So, because you you, uh, you wrote a book on this, effectively, right? Um, So, because these two will go together. We have to be, I believe, more specific in our advice. And Mm -hmm. I think you help people do that, which is a coach yelling at you, you know, block better, doesn't really help, mm-hmm. right? You need to take one step to the right, pivot to your left, and then lunge into the guy in front, right? Mm-hmm. So I think with our kids even, often we just give them broad-based advice yeah, without saying, wait, this is what we really need to do to get there, right? True. So let me, let me pull it together with the success question, all right? Yeah. So I was at my when my son was really young, he was playing, you know, first grade football. And so I'm standing on the sidelines and I watch a kid score a touchdown and the parents are going crazy and they're like, touchdown. And they're high-fiving other parents. They're going, we're going to dinner tonight. And I'm thinking, do you not eat if he doesn't score a touchdown? But (laughs) so anyway, I'm just sitting there, I'm watching this whole thing and I was thinking, wow, you know, what happens when the conversation is way to go touchdown? Dude, how did you get open in the end zone? And so that's what you want to reinforce what you want to see again, right? How did you get open in the end zone? Well, then your company, you know, you you had the best sales year ever. And so you go to dinner and you celebrate and everybody's like, yay, we, you know, we hit all our goals. But really what you want to celebrate is how'd you get there? How many cold calls? How many appointments? How many follow-ups? Like, how did you play the game to get there? And I think too often we celebrate the success, the outcome, Mm -hmm. and not what got us there. So when my kid gets, you know, an A in chemistry, 
And I say, wow, I am so impressed with your discipline and your follow through and going to tutoring. Because I don't care if you get an A, you know, when you're 40 years old, who cares? But I want you to have discipline when you're 40. I want you to follow through when Mm -hmm. you're 40. So we have to reinforce playing the game. And man, we celebrate those outcomes way too much. Mm, So we need to recognize the outcome and celebrate how we got there. Whether it's in touchdowns or, you know, bees on test or the number one sales guy in your company. I mean, whatever it is, you got to figure out what got you there because that's where your confidence comes from when you execute the plays. That's where your celebration has to come from also. Okay, so definitions, definition of success is a big deal. And most people Game don't think well about that. played. Yeah, they just think about, yes, scoring the touchdown, making X dollars, but... This, this is all tying in, which is you have to define what is a win. Mm-hmm. And you taught me this about the dinner table. I think you know where mm-hmm. I'm going. Will you, will you tell? Because I think this will help parents a lot. Because yes. you guys have the fun night, or am I there to teach them fork on the left, knife on the right, sit up, get off your phone, or is there another form of success at the dinner table? Yeah, so I asked myself one time, you know, what really is my desired result of dinner that my kids will take a bite of everything. And I realized that, honestly, if I just sit down and look at our dinner table, what do I want? I want my kids to want to come home to the dinner table when they're in college, when they've got their own families. I want everybody to want to come home to the dinner table. And so I asked, you know, am, is what I'm doing right here creating that long term? Mm-hmm. No. And so what we decided to do is we come to the dinner table, we have a blessing. And then if you don't like what I'm eating, go fix a bowl of cereal. But we want to enjoy the time at the table. And so We'll play an idiom game or we'll quote movies from Princess, I mean, quote lines from Princess Bride until you're out. And I mean, Mm -hmm. we do fun things at the table and they have good manners and we'll correct them every once in a while. But really, what the goal of dinner is to enjoy being together. And so that just changed the way I I did dinner. Um, Really changed the way I did dinner. Yeah. It it just, and then you you had talked about y'all do different nights. It's one's kind of fun based, or maybe you wear a costume, or you know. I'm a big fan of theme night. We yeah. learned that at family camp, and you can have leftovers and throw a theme in there and dress up, and it uh, makes leftovers taste a whole lot better. But, and and I would encourage parents don't don't be don't be discouraged if you aren't eating dinner every night because it's difficult. Right? Well, okay, how about this? So people will say, I want to. One of the things I want to do is balance, and I want to have more dinners with my family. Right. And I'll say. Would you be open to saying more meals with my family? And they say, what does that mean? Well, does breakfast count? So if you're only looking for dinner with your family, you get seven opportunities. But if you go meals, I mean, you're, you it just it's so increase the opportunities. So a lunch on a Sunday and a breakfast on a Wednesday count. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't always have to be dinner. But when we're in that mindset that I need to have dinner, breakfast stops counting. It's the a, it's a weirdest thing. We were hyper-focused on that. I think uh-huh. everybody is. And other parents say, yeah, it's just so depressing. I don't give her dinner anymore. Now, this isn't getting the family together, but I've been more intentional about taking Charlotte to breakfast. Mm-hmm. Or, right, so it it's happening in a form or fashion. Or, to your point, you will make, once every couple weeks, everybody go to a movie together. Because mm-hmm. I'll find something that, like Mr. Rogers, not the documentary, which was phenomenal, but the movie, like, we're going to see that. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there's a lot of moaning and groaning. <laughs> but they loved it, of course. Right. But go at, do something together. For us, what we've discovered is... Getting, which we're doing tonight, getting people to go out to out to dinner together is easier. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but but at home, Xbox, homework, phone. When we all go to Sushi Kyoto, 
we're going to Sushi Kyoto. Right. It just cost me you know, $150, but right. <laughs> money well spent. Right. But that, that would be an example of redefining success. a win and yeah. success, right? We don't have to eat at home around the table and sitting at the sushi bar, Sushi Kyoto is nice. Right. Well, and then let's pull in some other things. You know, what do we do in sports? We practice all the time. Do we practice as parents? Do we practice having um, those one-on-one conversations or do we expect it to be perfect? So one of the things that we've been practicing in our family is having each of the kids spend one-on-one time together, literally 10-minute rotations. Because that's where we are in our practice. <laughs> speed dating your children. It is. Like yeah. they're speed dating, you know. That's but, a great idea. But God. just 10 minutes. That's all I need. But, and then when you have that 10 minutes on purpose and then you grow into it. And, of course, there's complaining the first few times that you're doing it. But you're learning to spend time together. I only have a few years with all of them in my house. And so I really want to nurture those. But we practice. You know, the first time my oldest went to homecoming, she was wearing a short dress and high heels. Mm. And we practiced getting into the car as a young lady. Not when her date was there. We did it days before getting into a Suburban. And then we borrowed my neighbor's sedan because we didn't know what car he would have. But that's a skill that needs to be practiced. Every parent with a daughter that's 15 and older just goes, mm. Because uh-huh. we've all been there. Right. And, and my daughter can hear this, you know, and I'm like, but I'm not going to win. I mean, well, we it's not going to be go to your room and take that off. So we no, got to no. have practice. We need tools. to practice. <laughs> we need to practice. I mean, if we can practice tackling and a forehand, then we right. can certainly tact, practice. One of my favorite things when my kids were younger is we would practice walking to the car as a pleasant member of the family. So it's like 6 a.m. on a, a Saturday morning. Everybody has to get up and walk to the car. I mean, they're little. They're like four, five, and six, right? They have to walk to the car as a pleasant mem- member of the family. And then we're like, oh, sorry, we need to practice again. Oh, I think we should get in our pajamas and then wake up and then practice again. And you really only have to do that one time. And then all you have to mm. do is say, hey, do we need to practice? And everybody says, no, ma'am. God bless you because you're the wife of a, of a pastor with kids that are the children of pastors. So... Things need to look good, right, when you go to church. Oh, they do. Yeah. They do. We would, I know, I shouldn't tell this, but I will. So we'll be walking into church. You have added authority, as I said earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let's say that you're, you're greeting. I'm like, Mr. McCall is greeting. Say his name. Let's practice. And they're like, no. And I'm like, I'll pay you. Yeah. <laughs> the things we do. So the, the, this just popped in my head. And it may be the most said universal psychology advice that I've heard hundreds of times. And is this statement accurate? Practice makes perfect. Or is that setting you up for absolute failure? I mean, there really is not perfect. Right. You know that. And But think um, how many times you've heard that. Of Hundreds. Course, of course. Yeah. So practice makes you better. Practice yeah. makes you better in anything that you do. Okay. Let me hit pause there. Because something I've worked on, you actually helped me with this back in the day. Good practice makes you better. Mm-hmm. These guys I see, I keep going back to golf because that's where you and I have connected with yours. Even my golf coach, see that guy over there? He's been here two hours pounding balls into oblivion. He's getting practicing worse, possibly. Bad, yeah, practicing a bad swing, sure. Like Jonathan Buchanan, who you've met, mm-hmm. JB, um, and, and a couple other gentlemen I work with, one at Preston Trail, and you know they would say 15 minutes of intentional is infinitely better than an hour of just wandering. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I so th- give us your thoughts on what is good practice. I mean, I know that's not universal, yes. but there probably is some universal thoughts. Yes. So practice needs to have a purpose. Um, you know, I, I work with athletes who spend hours and hours and hours. And if you want to be better when you walk off, then you need to know what you're doing going in. And so I do believe that practices need to have a purpose. I think we can practice in everything. And um, I don't think we practice in business enough, just leading a meeting and, and greeting and I think pregame goes with practice as well, but um, have a purpose for your practice and, and then evaluate based on your desired results. So if my purpose is I'm wor- really working on distance and then on um, as soon as I start practicing, I look at my control, mm-hmm. which one are you practicing that day? And I'm, I mean, I think that you can fine tune as you're going along, but you really need to have your evaluation based on your purpose. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. What I can literally do this all day. Mm. I'm dead serious because I love this stuff. Mm. I mean, this is just so, I love getting to do this because it's fulfilling to me. You know what's resonating in my head over and over is we all want perfect, but it just doesn't exist, Mm-mm. right? Because as soon as you I get... I want to be the perfect father, yeah. and then I get really mad at myself when I scream at the kids, and it's happened, by the way. Uh. But, does the perfect, but does the perfect father not... Yell at their kids. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. Right. But it's it's really, if you think about that average and then wherever your goal is, as soon as you start getting closer to your goal, you realize there's another level. So that, like, just perfect doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the practice, and we have to, the practice is interesting too. You know, if you're struggling in your relationship with God, well, you, you have to, it's, you do have to get in quiet time of some sort, right? I mean, there has to be an intentional moment. It doesn't just happen, mm-hmm. right? So I love that you you've helped many people figure out. You know, how do you practice with purpose? Mm-hmm. Mm, it's great. So let, let's talk about this then. Your current work. What is that? And, and I alluded this earlier, and I'm guilty of this. I don't think most people really know what a coach does. They hear this. The new term is life coach, mm-hmm. right? That's become this epic. And there's also, you know, there's probably bad coaching out there. Um, and I think some people think, well, is that like a therapist? Or so why don't you give the definition of what, in your world, what a, co- what a coach is or a business coach or a life coach? And then, um, well, I'll come back to that. So what does that look like? And Well, then I do want to hit on your current work. Okay. That can just lead into that. Sure. So, you know, my company is The Mind of a Champion, and over the years we've created this process for coaching mindset so that our clients remember what it feels like to win and become a champion. And so most of the work that I did in the beginning of my career was just all centered around mindset work and Mm -hmm. how to change people's thinking. Well, in that, we created this process of coaching mindset, so we created a process of coaching. And so what I've been able to do is take the best of the best from coaching and sports and pull them over to other areas of life, mostly in business. So I would not call myself a life coach, although a lot of my clients I do life with. And so because I'm in relationship, Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn about life, and if there's a question, I'm going to point them to the right resource. But I would not consider myself a life coach, more of a business coach. So what do we do? We help people figure out what their win is, and then we are. A, I can be a thinking partner. Um, the areas that that we do coaching in are uh, business development. So hey, I was 
brought up to be trained to be an attorney. I was trained to be a chiropractor, but now I have to go and get new business. I don't know how to do that. That's all about thinking. So business development, um, even sales, you have, you know, you know, your sales skills, but you don't have the right mindset around it. Uh, we have people there, just personal improvement, athletic performance, um, and leadership development, teaching mm-hmm. people how to lead their team to drive results. And so you're, do, you're doing keynote speaking too, right? I do keynote speaking. And you're speaking. very, she's very, very good, by the way. She spoke to the hardest crowd in America, which is the Salesmanship Club of Dallas, which is a bunch of you know, guys that you know, throw roles at you and do tell awesome. their own twice. So keynote though. I do keynote. And then um, uh, we, I have certified coaches who will engage in coaching relationships. So a lot of coaching out there, so you said there's bad coaching. What I see, I don't know if I'd say good coaching or bad coaching, but there's a lot of transactional coaching out there, which is just this billable hour mindset. You have to meet with me for an hour. And we do relationship-based coaching, which is where are you now and where do you want to go? And the bigger the change, the more frequent the coaching has to be. But also, the more frequent the coaching, the lower duration. And so I'm not going to talk to you an hour every day. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure out what it is. And if it's if you have a big change, you need somebody there walking you through with it, not in terms of accountability, saying I did do it or I didn't do it. What I'm going to say, if you go, hey, I know I needed to do this and I didn't, I'm like, great, you knew that you needed to. What stopped you? And so we can be a thinking partner in that as well. Okay, so everybody out there listening won't be able to get to you, or possibly mm-hmm. even your team, because people listen from outside the state. Not that you can't remote coach, but... We do all of our coaching remote. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. See, I got lucky. Um, <laughs> but what... But what, what... So in my business, I would say, you know, I want somebody that's a fiduciary. Mm-hmm. I would prefer... I'm saying if somebody doesn't work with us, that's a certified financial planner... This is kind of a loaded question, but what should, is there anything, is a standard somebody should look for? You know, or is a, it just the Wild West? It is. Find somebody that you can connect with, honestly, because there are some coaching organizations um, that I'm not a fan of because mm-hmm. I think that they're money making machines. Because right. once you get credentialed, you have to get, you know, continuing education. And we just didn't go that route. But I think the most important thing in a coaching relationship is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to find somebody that you connect with that can be honest with you. Um, that can be that thinking partner. They can help you make decisions, not because they're telling you what to do. A good coach speaks less than the person being coached. So the good coach is really just asking questions and drawing out the answer from you. They're not telling you what to do. Um, I mean, they can they can give you some ideas or options or observations, but they're not saying do this, do this, do this. So this is interesting. I think you'll resonate with you. Um, we're looking at making investment to a private equity fund. And we have this big due diligence report, which we give to the private equity manager, and they come back, it's literally like 75 pages. They come back with it. It's It all looks good. And then today it dawned on me, wait, it's, and they have a, they have 11 GPs in this other market. I want the phone numbers of all 11 GPs, and I'm going to call one or two, but you don't get to tell me which one or two I'm going to call point would be i think it's it, not enough people do that i mean it's crazy really i think one of the best things that we can do is call one of your clients assuming the client will let you right um i mean i might encourage people if they're going to engage a coach try to talk to some people they've worked with right right because right. you can everything can look good on the outside um and we've all had those experiences so and i think you're right it's interesting what and i've tried to avoid this word what buchanan said one time is Hey, I'm not like Golf Digest. I'm not here to give you tips, right? <laughs> you know, and yes. like you're saying, you're ingraining yourself. Right. So it is all about the relationship. It really is. And so 
Um, the way that we onboard relationships, we do uh, Champions Club, which is new. Yeah, so tell us about that. Sure. I've, I've seen it from afar. I think you've done some beginning at our mm-hmm. conference room. So we do a one- and two-day event. So the Champions Club, you we bring about 30 people together. You spend a couple of days together. Um, I'm there with an assistant coach. You meet both of us, and then the assistant coach takes the coaching relationship from there. We do a, a six-week or a three-month coaching relationship. Day one, it's all different kinds of people. So anything from an athlete, high school professional athlete, to entrepreneur, attorney, uh, mom, just any individual contributor, sales rep who wants mm-hmm. to take their game to the next level. We do a whole day of mindset work, and we create a winning game plan, and you meet your coach. Day two, the leaders of people stay over. So the day two is where we teach our simple coaching conversation. We teach people how to connect, how to focus in on skills, look at the impact, assessments, all of these good things. So we teach that on day two, and we do a whole lot of practice on that. And then, um, again, we continue with that uh, coaching relationship. So that's one way people can do it. Let let me pause there. But that does not sound like it's remote, at least the first Correct. That's in Dallas. So okay. we'll do that. I mean, we do go offside if people have 20 or more people, but we host those in Dallas uh-huh. at a great location, VentureX yeah, Campbell Center. A shout out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a phenomenal in the gold buildings in North Tower. Uh, so we hold those over at VentureX about once a month. Um, and then just this month, February 2020, we la- launched a virtual mindset where we do an hour and a half class, an interactive Zoom class, mm-hmm. but we also partner it with a month of coaching. So the biggest change that we've made in at the Mind of a Champion over the last three years is that whatever we're doing, we're partnering it with coaching because people feel good when they hear this. And they're like, this is great. I'm going to change. And you really get about 10 days of change before your old habits kick back mm-hmm. in. If you don't have that spaced repetition, that um, that coaching that goes along with it. And so I just feel like it's time in my career where we really, we, we do what we say we're going to do. And that is, you know, we're really helping people make changes. And so that's why we're partnering everything with coaching. So that is a, it sounds like you're really excited about that. I am, I am. So you said it earlier. So there's, what, what are the, Three or four areas. So, you, are you, is Julie Bell still personally coaching? In this season of life, yeah. I had a little rough fall. And so, in this season right now, I am not doing any individual coaching relationships. I still have some legacy relationships, mm-hmm. but I'm not onboarding any new clients. I am teaching the virtual mindset, I am teaching the champions clubs, but I have a coach with me that follows up those relationships. Okay. And are you actively looking for coaches? I am building okay. my coaching team, yes. I mean, you never know who's going to listen to this or where it's going to get pushed around. So mm-hmm. so step one for anybody interested in being a coach is they come through our Champions Club. So they yeah, see so, what we do. Yeah. We see them. We experience a coaching relationship. And then they go through our onboarding process. And so your onboarding process, as you know, I'm part of a CrossFit gym. We have basically six or seven. One is passing the series, um, the level one. And then you go through the process of, 20 um, shadowing classes. Mm-hmm. And so you have a process you take your coaches through. 100 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And also, you, you, I mean, it helps that you have a background in education and psychology, right? I mean, and that made me think about something. So you are not a psychiatrist, obviously. I am not. I am a PhD in sports psychology. So we were in the school of education, not right. in the psychology department. But you're, you are bound to get in situations you know, where you, somebody needs help. Mm-hmm. And you, I assume you then say, okay, we got to get some therapeutic work 
we can we can augment what's happening, but you're clinically depressed or whatever that looks like. Absolutely. So my and does that does that happen? It does. It's bound to. Yes. And yeah. so what I need to know is I need to I need to be able to watch for that because I never want to give anybody the illusion that they're in therapy. Yeah. So, because I, that's not the work that I'm doing. And so it's really important. I can be a first step to get somebody to the right therapist, mm-hmm. but it's just not where I'm qualified. Right. But that's, I mean, it's great because people might end up with you thinking, oh, I just need coaching to find success and realize that and maybe they even have a, I mean, you like you and me, I mean, I can identify, I mean, I hadn't met with a guy a few weeks ago. Once again, I'm not a doctor. I just said, you're depressed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're, you're not producing serotonin. So let's get a male blood panel Right. Here's a couple right. of therapists. Like, go f- look at this. Um, Absolutely. And that's something that's been interesting. You know, I love what t- Tony Robbins had turned me on to this about, and I'd love your thoughts, changing your physical being when you feel a certain way. So there's mornings, and, and depression has not been really a cross to bear for me. It's been more anxiety, but... I have t- sometimes when I'm sitting in the blue chair at home, that's where Lizzie and I do our thinking in my quiet time, and I just feel melancholy. And mm. and I will literally get into cryo as quickly as I can. And it's amazing that that environmental change, I will get out of that cryo unit, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. So Tony Robbins has an um, ice plunge in every one of his homes, and you know, <laughs> multiple homes. <laughs> It, it works. I mean, that is a tip, but mm-hmm. there's something to that. I mean, so when you're coaching, some of that is like when you were telling me, you know, once the club set down, right, changing your physical environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so if you're stuck, walk. Like if you're thinking, I do my best thinking when I'm walking. You know, I take yeah. my phone and I just talk to my phone. If I'm wanting to brainstorm or do things mm-hmm. like that, I think that physical movement is great to get your brain moving. I mean, just to, so it doesn't like if your body is just sitting there stuck, your brain Mm -hmm. is just stuck or spinning Mm -hmm. a little bit out of control. And so just a little bit of movement can change uh, the way that you're thinking. Yeah. Boy, this, this whole biohacking world, which is the funny thing is I love it. You and I both love Mm -hmm. it. And it, it, it makes me think about when you were talking about, you know, somebody's depressing, they need to go to a therapist and get right. You're really sharpening the pencil in the sense of I can go to a regular doctor and get blood work, or I can go to a couple doctors you and I know mm-hmm. where they're trying to optimize my blood work, not just my traditional doctor, no offense to him. Right. He's like, everything looks pretty good. Well, then I take it to, I'll just leave their names out for now, but a couple yeah. of guys we know, and they would say, yeah, it looks good, but not great. Let's mm-hmm. get it to great. So, I mean, I think that's what, obviously, you're taking somebody that's good. Mm-hmm. My favorite book, one of them all-time business book from good to great, right? Right. Well, so if it's an athlete, what we'll say is, are you practicing better than you compete? Okay. So you, you've got the talent, but you're not executing it when you want it. Mm-hmm. And so doesn't that doesn't translate as well into business. In business, it is if you feel like you have another level, whether it's independently or your organization feels like you have another level, then we help you get there because 80% of your thoughts are repetitive. And so if you're just talking to the same people in your company that you've always talked to, you're having the same thoughts and the same ideas on how to grow. We're just somebody asked different questions and um, we can help people break through that. That's good. Okay. So we're going to go through um, some, some, Okay, we're going to get there. One thing I ask, because I have so much more grace for myself now, I think what, 
and you have an interesting story, you know, leading through the eating disorder. What what would you tell your sixteen year old self? That's a good question. What would I tell my 16-year-old self? And I picked that because you're still informed of yours. 18, things are, can, are can possibly going sideways and they're starting to get stuck. Uh-huh. But 16 is young enough that, I don't know, that's kind of the age I picked. Okay, so it might surprise you. So if I had known what the Lord had in store for me in terms of my family that I have, my husband, the children that I would have, I would have made better choices. If I had believed that the Lord had that good for me, I would have made better choices. Yeah. But then I wouldn't be who I am today. But right. It's a t- that's a tough one. That's a one, tough yeah. one. Yeah. It is. I didn't think, I didn't dream big enough when I was 16. Yeah. Yeah. No, nor did I. Yeah. And then I always just tell myself, it's just going to be okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially if you believe in Providence, which we both do. Uh huh. So th- this is once again, would I ask a lot of people, but more of, oh, I meant to comment, the biohacking is just a massive industry now. Even though controlled by some guys, Dave Ashbury, who you, mm-hmm. I believe you know, Ben Greenfield, <coughs> Tim Ferriss kind of started all this madness. Um, you were ahead of the game as well. I mean, that's effectively what you've been doing for 20 years. I mean, it's a it's an overused term, but helping people get there mm-hmm. faster mm-hmm. to some extent with practice. So... What are what are their um, what are some daily habits that you or routines that you do that you think may help others? So, for example, the walking, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I tell people that all the time. Like, if you're sitting there and you're down, get up and just go walk. You got to move. It's what I used to tell my brother when he'd be depressed. I'm like, mm-hmm. you, you got to go to the pool. You have to. So, what are are there any routines on a daily basis? Be it quiet time or so on a daily basis. Um, I don't know if it's just personality-wise or if it's a habit that I have, but I, um, I'm optimistic. I mean, I, I do like that growth mindset. You know, you take your results and you figure out how do you change from them. And I think most important is when I find out something about myself, I'm entertained by it more than than disappointed in myself. So just recognizing it. I think some people recognize things in themselves, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's awful. But when I recognize something, I'm like, oh, that's funny. I just now knew, you know, I'm in my 50s, and I just now found that out about myself. So when you're entertained by it, you can do something with it. When you are you beat yourself up about it, um, it's hard to move from that place. Mm. There's a guy named Leo Bobalta who I he, – Zen – it's Zen readings and – that's what it's all about, right? He, he's big into for self-forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we need to get forgiveness from the Lord, but just not being so hard on yourself. Right. right? Um, and that's tough. That's tough. So um, do you have a, a quiet time practice of some sort? Or And I'm not putting you on the spot. I mean, you're a pastor's daughter. But th- then let me reframe that because I am a believer in meditation. Pastor's wife, not yeah. a pastor's Excuse daughter. Excuse me. Correct. Uh, I... Because I am a believer in meditation, mm-hmm. and I think the mindfulness movement has been really helpful in the area of mental illness and really everything. So do you have any practices like that? So um, I heard a great speaker, Nell Bush. A lot of people know her. She's oh, yeah. amazing. She spoke to our NCL group, and she did this table, and she talked about the four legs of the table and your mm-hmm. goals and dreams on top of it. And it was mental, physical, 
emotional, spiritual. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at those and, you know, or social was one of them. And I was thinking, oh, well, you know, one of my kids, their social leg is so long, they're off balance. And then I thought, okay, my imbalance. And I go, yeah, my legs are just short right now. And so everything, so I had that physical, I had surgery in September mm. on my shoulder. My, my dad passed away a few weeks later. And so just everything has gotten short. And so I know what I need to do and I'm not doing it to the, to the extent that I need to be doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I need to just get back in the practice and, you know, one minute's better than zero and three minutes is better than one. And sometimes 20 minutes isn't better than three. Sometimes 20 minutes is just checking a box. So just getting back into being intentional. Yeah, I've got a new meditation app, and um, it's been it's called Pause. And it's created mm. by the guy that wrote Wild at Heart, John Eldridge, yeah. and it's phenomenal. Big fan of him. He's got one, three, five, and ten. But I've been doing literally my blue chair, closing eyes. He says take three deep breaths. It's one minute, mm -hmm. and it helps. So some other time we'll get into mindfulness and acceptance verse fighting thoughts and because that's something that's helped me too which is i don't have to fight the thoughts all the time i can just mm -hmm. let them go mm -hmm. right you know that they're on a cloud i can watch them go by so detach from that a little bit it's kind of what you're saying with accepting finding something about you funny that you know used to would have really hacked you mm -hmm. off. okay so love that so let's do talk about the fast five get it whatever comes to your mind one sentence one word you can pass, although I don't encourage that. Uh, so, and it's the five things that we focus on in the show, which is faith. Own it. Own it. Family. Love them well and more. Friends. Interesting. So, people, um, know who you trust. Not everybody is the same relationship. Like you can have a lot of friends, but not everybody has to be the same depth of relationship. Mm-hmm. That's good. Fitness? Mm-hmm. The older you get, the more important it is. And, man, that whole, you know, working out for an hour thing is so old school. You know, 15 minutes, three sets of eight. I mean, it's amazing. A little bit of activity repeated over time produces incredible results. Couldn't agree more. Finances? Finances, um, the best thing you can do is live in a bonus mindset. And that is bonuses are a bonus. They're not your salary. Too many people live with a bonus as part of their salary and their mindset. It just has to be a change there. Yeah. A lot of people get in trouble that way. Yeah, reframing your success there. Okay, so we were approaching the end because we'd like to give them about an hour. It's amazing how the, fast that goes. That, yeah. fast that goes. Um, let's do this. Where, cause I, I mean, part of my bit, you know, my seat here is to encourage your business because you've been a huge encouragement in my life. What, where do what's where do people find you and follow you? So is that website, Instagram, mm -hmm. Facebook? So if I wanted to find you, besides just Google Dr. Julie Bell, because by the way, that's dangerous. Not just for you. There's a lot of bad actors out there that <laughs> capture information. <laughs> well, right? There's a fantasy artist named Julie Bell, and so oh, it's really? not me. Oh, I've seen that. Oh. Honest, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's like Dragon Painter. I did, yeah. So where would they? Where would, how, what's the best Where'd way to find, find you? So The Mind of a Champion. You can find out all the ways you can be a champion at themindofachampion.com. Mm -hmm. um, we're active on LinkedIn. Okay. And somewhat The Mind of a Champion on Instagram, getting back in there. Okay. And where, what is, is there anything upcoming 
that somebody could be actionable on and sign up for? Absolutely. So virtual mindset, we've got two offerings in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have uh, mindset on demand. We'll be up on the website so you can, the only difference in that, it's not interactive, but you can just download the video and you still get coaching with that. And then our next Champions Club is March 30th, uh, 3031 in Dallas, Texas. And you have room. We do have room. So there's there's a young lady who's incredible named Shady that takes show notes. She'll, she'll put all this in there with okay. links. What about the books? So in 2009, I wrote Performance Intelligence at Work. The best place to get that is on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then there is a Christian version of that, which just takes the, right, yeah. the mindset principles and it breaks it down to a 21-day journal. It's called Renewed. And you can get that on our website, on themindofachampion.com. Um, it's just a free PDF. Okay. So that is the end of our talk here. It's just a, it's such an honor to have you on. Having Getting to know you and work with you has been a joy of my life. Um, you've been gracious with your time and energy. I just would like to say God bless Julie Bell. Thanks, Lane, so much.